Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So we're going to talk about um, stewardship, and I'll, and I'll tell you why in a minute. We played that little game right there. So the first, the first three weeks, we talked about time, talent, and treasure. And we didn't say time, ability, and money. Why? Because they didn't start with T. They all needed to start with T. Time, talent, and treasure, right? right. <clears throat> and then last week we talked about, uh, we had a couple of, uh, of ideas from the audience of things that we could, um, we could steward, which was our family, our marriage, um, our body, like our physical body. And then we, the message was on um, stewarding our freedom. <clears throat> and so this week we're going to be talking about one more thing, and it's going to be the first line of your notes there. It's stewarding our attention our attention and we're going to wrap up the series with this this week <clears throat> now when we say when we talk about um stewarding our attention what i want to um make sure that we um we get into is distraction <clears throat> so when you're stewarding our when we're stewarding our attention um distractions are anything that takes our attention away from our purpose so what you're going to find is that as you are someone who is not just growing in Christ, not just connecting to community, but living God's purpose, when you're not just in, being informed about him, but you're applying what you've been informed and then living it out into a day, on a day-to-day basis, what you're going to find is that there's going to be things that are going to vie for your attention. This is going to happen at work. This is going to happen in your general life. It's going to happen when you're dealing with your children. <clears throat> it's going to happen when you are, are, are trying to, you know, get ready for church in the morning. It's going to happen all the, all the time. You are going to be um, fighting with yourself and fighting against the things that is going to try to manage and grab your attention. So... <clears throat> um, there's even a law against this, right? So I know none of you do this, and none of you did this on the way here this morning, but if you're driving and on your phone at the same time, right, that's illegal. All you panicked. I'm not reporting you um, <clears throat> because I may or may not have done it myself this morning coming back from sailors. Um, but if you're on your, uh, you're on your phone and driving, um, you can get pulled over and given a ticket for distracted driving. So there's laws against being distracted. Your attention and focus should be here on the road. How fast you're going, checking your mirrors, 10 and 2, all that stuff, right? Your speed. Your attention should be there. But when you are not, and when it's not there, it becomes increasingly dangerous for everybody else. So when we talk about distractions, I'm going to talk about three of them specifically today <clears throat> that are kind of sitting on my heart that I want to communicate to us. And some of them, uh, a couple of them you may not be ready for, which is always good. So it keeps you on your toes. <clears throat> but the first one that we're going to talk about, the first distraction, number one in your notes is fear. Is fear. <clears throat> have you ever heard someone make this statement? Or have you ever made this statement about somebody else? They're crippled with fear. Anybody ever heard that statement before? Crippled with fear. So what happens is, is someone, what they're saying is, they're not physically crippled. They were afraid and their legs stopped working, right? Like they need a wheelchair. <clears throat> what they're saying is they can't make a decision or move forward in any aspect of their life because they're afraid. That fear can come in a whole bunch of different ways. I'm afraid of what other people are going to say about me. I'm afraid of what other people are going to think about me. I'm afraid that I'm going to get out here and, and, and seem like I'm stupid, because I, I, I took a shot on something, I tried it, and it just didn't work out. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of death. The number one thing in America that people are afraid of, anybody know? Public speaking. There you go. <clears throat> Not you. Congratulations. Sergio has beaten the number one fear in America already here today. It's a great Sunday. <clears throat> but it's, it's public speaking, right? It's, um, it's people who are afraid to stand up and be like, oh my gosh. Why? Because there's all these other fears tied to it. I'm going to look dumb. I don't know what to say. People are going to look at me like, why are you even up there? And there's all these fears that compound. And what happens is, is the more that you allow fear to grow, the more of, your, of the vision of your life or the, what you're looking at God begins to become distorted because the fear interrupts it. 
So fear in its nature is distracting you from looking at the one who should solve your fear. It is a distraction. I, <clears throat> I had a, um, I, I read an article this week of a guy who, he was an actor and he always wanted to go skydiving his whole life. And when he turned 50, he's like, I've lived long enough. I might as well try, right? So, <clears throat> so he goes and he jumps out of the plane and he's totally fine, right? But here's what he said when someone asked him about it afterwards. What I discovered is how cancerous fear can be. It's this, it, it metastasizes from a medical terminology. It grows. It begins to eat up other areas of your life and impact other things. If you have had the unfortunate um, uh, uh, experience of having some form of cancer or you know somebody who dealt with it then you know <clears throat> that they want to treat it immediately before it what? Spreads. Spreads. <clears throat> so when I went in six or seven years ago and they found the you know very aggressive spot on my back you know and they determined it was cancerous and they had to go do the surgery they they, they biopsied both of my lymph nodes you know that was ha because of where it was was located but you know halfway between two of them on my right side and they biopsied and had to go test them why because they wanted to make sure it hadn't spread because the nature of the cancer is to spread the nature of the fear is to spread. The more you are afraid <clears throat> of attempting specifically the thing that God has put in your heart to do, he's put in front of you to do, and you continue to say, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to take that step. I don't know if, what if I look stupid? What if it's, if it doesn't work? What if it's my own, you know, my own desire, not really God speaking to me, and you juggle all these things. What happens is, instead of focusing in on him, there becomes this distraction and we're giving our attention to the wrong thing. We're giving it to the wrong thing. <clears throat> Anybody know who this guy is? Anybody know him? Yeah. Bear Grylls. I put his name at the top. So if you didn't, now you know. Yeah, it's probably a bad question. <clears throat> My son's chuckle gave that away to me right there. Um, Bear Grylls. How many guys know Bear? Yeah, you know what he does? Yeah, yeah. He does all like the adventure stuff and he goes out in the wilderness and takes, you know, all like actors and people with them and shows them how to, you know, you know, drink their own urine if they're in thirsty. You know, I saw that once, you know, he killed the snake and skinned it, you know, and, and filled it up with water and drink it later. Or they, you know, teach how to do all these crazy things, right? <clears throat> Where, well, Bear Grylls, uh, he's a believer, which I, I thought was cool, but um, he invented or he built this uh, six-story um, uh, I guess what they call it, a, not a fear tower. I forgot what they called it, but I would call it that because what he does is he straps grown adults to it and has them climb up this open air thing to try to help them navigate their fears and what they want to do, right? Well, <clears throat> Bear um, was well, wanting to uh, show this to somebody who was a reporter and he gave them an opportunity to get strapped up to it and walk into it. And so there's a little four-minute report of this guy right here. See, I don't know if you know the difference by just by looking at this guy and this guy, but this guy looks like he would be able to do it, right? This guy, eh, I'm worried about him, right? Worried about this guy. Well, anyway, he gets strapped to it, and let's see. There's a little. They give a news report on the Today Show, and they talk to him. And part of the middle of it's a little dry, but the, the beginning and the end and what Bear says is really important. So I want to play it for you real quick. Sydney uh, Harbor Bridge defying gravity, but for many of us, uh, including me, that would be a pretty nerve-wracking. Who better to go to to get some help with that than Bear Grylls, as you say, who's show-running wild, has been on NBC uh, for five years now. now Look, I mean, I was hoping for a nice, civilized chat, but Bear being Bear, he had other ideas to take me through the bare necessities for survival. Like that, full of snow. I'm not going to die. You're going to be fine. So this is your playground. Really? Well, we're just entering the, entering the exciting zone. <laughs> You've got to get some altitude. I'm heading 60 feet in the air with adventurer Bear Grylls at his new facility in Birmingham, England. What's your advice to me <laughs> to survive this? Everyone always says don't look down, don't they? But, yeah, you know, I always kind of think not looking down. 
You're essentially delaying the inevitable. Grills has been a thrill seeker since his father taught him to climb cliffs as a boy. Grills went on to hone his survival skills as a soldier in the British Special Forces until his chute failed to open during a skydive, breaking three vertebrae. Just 18 months later, still only age 23, he summited Mount Everest. This is not a guy who backs down. If you really want to live empowered, right. you got to face those fears. I can feel my heart increasing <laughs> and my breathing. This now is about trying to control that <coughs> natural panic. It yeah. always comes when you suddenly you see your natural response, that speed of birth of adrenaline, high heart rate. But if you're not used to it, it can overwhelm people. So yeah. we dumb it down, we keep calm, focus on what we're doing, follow me. And Grills wants me to retest my limits by balancing with no hands six stories up. Let's <coughs> get a nice stable move. No, I'm not gonna do that. You can start thinking about, you know, food and water and stuff like that. But really, a campfire first. Yeah. Nice! Holy! <laughs> there is no way! So, I think this is a bit like a bathroom book. You can just read a little bit. And you remember little things. Grills has guidance on everything. From life-saving gear, gaffer tape can be used to set bones. To how to survive in the jungle, you might have to eat termites. Yum. Always need clean water wherever you are, I and mean, you've got some tips on how to make sure you've got water. C clear water isn't clean water. You've got to boil water. That's some cold water right there. See, it's all grey. All of this glacial silt yeah. is all the big rocks that have been crushed by the weight of this whole mass of ice. It's time for me to put that training and courage to the test. Trying to put into practice everything you've learned from there. No, I am scared. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, just don't think about it. Uh, <coughs> that just moved. <laughs> that just moved. Bear! <laughs> Where are you, Bear? <laughs> oh, no. no! Did you get over the fear? No, it didn't seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> Said, listen, it'll be a great shot. Walk out on this kind of, I don't know, this kind of plank, uh, and, and, and it'll be fine. Uh, as I'm walking out, the whole thing moves. Uh, it, it, was, it was frightening. You know, Carson talks about this all the time, and Bear talks about this. I think it's, it's so interesting. Of course, I was I was hooked up, so I wasn't going to fall, but it's, it's all about the psychology. It's about how you feel yourself. It's about your own personal battle and overcoming your fears. Like, so. You hear what he said at the end? Yeah. I was hooked up the whole time. I wasn't going to fall. It was checked and triple checked before he went up there because they don't want any liability, right? I don't know what sure the, I'm not sure the insurance laws in England are, but I'm sure they're similar to liability causes, right? Mm -hmm. I was hooked up the whole time. I wasn't going to fall, but I still had to train my mind to change. Bear said it before he even got to that point. You have to face those fears. Now it's, now it's about having to control that sense of natural panic. We breathe it down, keep calm, focus. What's that mean? Put our attention where it needs to be and what we're doing, keep going forward. Fear is a very emotional distraction for us, especially as believers. It's a tool that the enemy uses to keep our eyes away from the God who is calling us forward and onto the what-ifs of the unknown. It is a distraction and it's a tool. 
So all you guys in the room might be like, Bear Grylls, you know, kill something, build a fire. All you women might be like, who cares? So I got something for you too. Ladies? <clears throat> Anybody know this lady? Anybody know this lady? Joanna Gaines, right? Joanna Gaines. Magnolia Farms, Waco. It's the only reason to go ever go to Waco, Texas. They have put it on the map. That's the only reason. If not, you just drive around and keep going. <clears throat> right? Um, but she, where, where is all, okay, like the, this is, uh, I'm going to do a test right here. Where is all of Magnolia Farms stuff? Where can you buy that? Target. There we go. See, I knew somebody would know that. It's all over the place. Their show is massive. They have their own network. They're believers, have a great marriage, a bunch of kids and stuff. But when she was talking about doing her first home renovations and asking her husband Chip to do all that work and make all these decisions, there was this continual underlying dread that any one of these decisions that I was trying to pull out of thin air could be the one that proved once and for all I was no good at this work. 95% or percent of the people in this country don't know what shiplap is without Joanna Gaines. <clears throat> right? Have you ever been into a home with shiplap? You know, hey, when's the last time you watched the house renovation show with Chip and Joanna? <laughs> like yesterday, right? Like, <clears throat> right? She put it on the map. But this lady and her husband, who have an entire media network, who have other people that they're launching out there, who have all their stuff at all these stores, multi-multi-millionaires, the silos made Waco an attraction, have increased the revenue of that town, firmly stand on their Christian belief, and, 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 are, and don't make any bones about it, says, I was afraid I was one decision away from people figuring out I'm a fraud. If that lady thinks that, all of us think that. I'm afraid to go do the thing that God put in front of me. I'm afraid to take this step. I'm afraid to take this risk. Why? Because they're going to figure out that I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm afraid to take the project at work. I'm afraid to, to, to step into school. I'm afraid to go into this door that I've been praying about forever and God's leading me through, but I'm afraid to do it because I'm afraid that I'm a fraud. And what happens is when you are afraid, you're a fraud. You look at your limitations and put your focus here instead of where it should be on the God who is calling you to take the step. Fear is a massive distraction. Massive. <clears throat> the Bible is very clear about it because it's very real not just for us here in our modern age but also throughout history Proverbs 29-25 fearing people is a dangerous trap but trusting the Lord means safety Amen. Psalms 27 1-3 the Lord is my light and my salvation so why should I be afraid we could just stop right there, amen it, pray, and go home. Why should you be afraid? You're looking at the wrong thing. Put into focus, God is my light and my salvation. What is the light to? Where are you supposed to be going? His word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. If you are in his word following him, he's your light, your compass, and your salvation. Why in the world are you afraid? The Lord is my fortress, my protector, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my, my heart will not be afraid. Even if, I'm a, even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. This is David talking about literal war. People coming towards him to attack Israel and overthrow the, the kingdom that he has been tasked to steward and lead. But there's other people that, that are in this room who feel that way. Oh, geez. Move, Charlie. Jeez, he caught the Holy Ghost for a second right there. Um, that's all I got to do. Yeah. I need an organ player and a drummer. Woo. And a change of pants. That scared me, right? So anyway, um, he says, even if I'm attacked, even if I'm attacked, I'll remain confident. Even if there is, there's opposition raining down on me. The intimidation factor 
of those armies. I got word that they're, that they're joining together and going to rush the wall and attack us from behind and lure us out and trap us and all these things, right? Like he, he still says, no matter what it looks like out here, I know where to keep my attention and my focus. Fear is distraction. One that we can navigate away from. Second thing, that is a distraction for us. <clears throat> Conforming to culture. Conforming to culture. <clears throat> Number two in your notes, conforming to culture. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You have probably heard this passage before. If you've been in church for longer than a few weeks, you probably heard this passage. Most of the focus is on this first verse. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, 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 and I agree with that. You should be, you know, keep your, your physical person, like from a sexual per, or a perspective, pure. Right? 100%. It's exactly what he's talking about. But he doesn't stop there in this context. When he's talking about being conformed to the world, he's not just talking about participating in sin. Look what he goes on to, do, to say. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The thoughts, the perspectives, the way you look at things has to change. It's not just the sin that you're participating in. It's also the way that you're looking at it. That by testing, you will discern what is the will of God, what he wants you to do, what is good, he is good, you are not, and acceptable, what his standard is for you to go and do uh, with your life and perfect. He's the one who knows exactly where you should go. It's, yes, it's about keeping your, your physical self in line and against sin, but it's also saying, hey, right here, there's something going on right here that needs to change in our mindset. This idea extends to um, mindsets and anti-biblical ideas that the culture wants you to submit to. You can imagine how thrilled I was when I opened up social media this week, after the day after the Dove Awards, which, you know what the Dove Awards are? It's like the Grammys for Christian music. <clears throat> And a, I say, I'll say this on purpose, a former believer and a former Christian artist decided to go because he was invited. And he decided that he wanted to stand in solidarity with people who were marginalized. And so he wore giant cowboy boots, or no, Doc Martin boots and a very long dress as a bald tattooed man. He went and 100% desire to seek attention, that's all it was. And I know that because after he's done, he went online and said, let me tell you why I decided to wear a dress to a Christian event. And filmed himself, and three million views later, he got what he wanted, the attention. When God transforms your mind, you don't have no desire, or at least you have the ability to reject the desire of conforming to the ideas of the culture. <clears throat> Weigh the truth in the life, Jesus, the gospel, his word, his standard. But I'm supposed to be proud about what I'm participating in. What is it doing? Don't look at that, you fundamentalist weirdo. That book is just some old thing. Look over here because you can get more people to come to your church. Say all the things that people want you to say. We're addressed to the, to the Dove Awards. Just call yourself an ally. 
or whatever. It's not just this subject. Do you understand? It's that subject at the moment. But little by little, people have been trying to draw the attention of the Christian, the believer, the pastor, the, the youth pastor, everybody, the, the spiritual leaders that are out there trying to draw their attention away from where it should be. And what is it? It's a distraction to capture your fo focus because if it was here, you would never line up with that. It's a distraction. The reason that we're, we're, we, we pound God's word here, we read a lot of scripture, we encourage you to get in the scripture. Why do we do that? Because you will have a hard time losing focus if you are, are putting your attention right there. It's going to be a hard time, to, it's going to be hard to succumb to sin if I'm praying, if I'm in his word, if I'm following his spirit, if I'm following his direction, if my attention, if I am stewarding my attention, I am telling it where to go. Because you have, the, you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to look at something and say, this is a distraction. And then move. <clears throat> we could sit here and have a series on all the distractions that are in the culture today for Christians. Right? We could go through the rest of the year with the series on that. But we're going to talk about one specific today. Apathy. Apathy. What is the definition of apathy? A lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. A lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. We've talked over the last several weeks about our cultures um, conditioning us to chase comfort. Comfort's just another way to say apathy. I saw another young lady who was a Gen Z. So if you're Gen Z, I'm not coming at you. I'm just talking about this particular lady uh, who, who got out of uh, college recently. She's a recent college grad, and she has a marketing and business degree. And she was very upset, very upset, that after she got her degree, that she went out into the workforce, and the job that she could find was... Waitress. She's making $36,000 a year plus tips or whatever, and the tips weren't going well, so she went online because that's what you do. You don't find a friend to talk to or an older person that's wiser to you to give you some insight. You go to, go to the Internet. So she got on TikTok and said, I can't believe I'm over here having to work. These the only job that I had an offer for on the, on the business and digital marketing was for like 45 grand. I have $150,000 in student loans. And now I'm even trying to get out of this and I don't know what to do. And I should be making at least 150 a year because I have a degree. I should start at 150 a year because I have a degree. I have one of them little pieces of paper. And I still ain't ever hit 150. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't come close to that sucker, right? So, <clears throat> so she had an expectation. Why? Well, I did this thing. I would, I, I, we didn't get into what she did in college. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a whole different story. But now there's an expectation of I did this one thing and now give me what I want. It's apathy. Well, I did the thing. I studied. So now give me the, the life. Give that to me. Why? There's an expectation that I don't have to work. There's no place in the Bible where it says, sit back. Ignore others. Remain passive. Coast through. Give minimal effort to just get by. Make yourself just valuable enough where they need to keep you around, but don't do anything extra to try to help and, and, and move ahead. The Bible doesn't say that. It does say to rest. It does say to be strategic. It does say to plan, to look ahead, use wisdom. But ultimately, apathy leads to laziness. Apathy is going to lead you to laziness. <clears throat> Bro, you're... Uh, the payment's due tomorrow. What are you going to do? Aren't you late for work? Yeah, so what? Um, 
church starts in an hour. Hmm. See, the apathy is not limited to things for Christians. It's, it, that apathetic laziness pushes out and flows into the rest of our life. <clears throat> it requires effort to follow God because don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. That takes work. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. If you are someone who is, who is um, uh, succumbing to the pressure of the culture to pursue comfort that leads you into apathy, that draws you into laziness, my friend, it is exactly opposite of what God's calling us to do. It is a distraction tactic to keep you still so you never go forward. If the enemy can't keep you out of, he uh, out of heaven, he's fine to use fear and apathy to make you do nothing because you are not a threat to him. How are you a threat to him? Because I walk in like a spiritual gangster and I be capping demons? No. That sounds right coming out of my mouth, right? Like, yeah, right? So that's not what happens. What happens? You walk in as someone who can change somebody's life because the Spirit of God and His truth and His Word is hidden in your heart so you don't sin against Him and you are now using that as an influence to rob hell, to populate heaven, and then the enemy's uh, going to uh, perk up a little bit and you don't get his attention. So let's roll a little bit of comfort out there for you. Let's see if we can distract you with just enough to get by. Let's see if I can give you a raise that's going to pull you, uh, pull you into a place of, man, haven't been here before. I struggled with that one. You're here. Why rock the boat? You remember what it was like when you didn't have X, Y, and Z? you start mouthing off now, these people are going to realize that, oh, he's a Christian, and you know what it's like being a Christian today. You need to keep that mouth shut. Can he lull you into sleep? Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 17, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do because apathy justifies doing nothing. <clears throat> it is a distraction for us to look at an apathetic attitude towards our life. Why would I want to go forward? I'm living a, quote, blessed life now. There's more for you to do, man. There's more for you to do. There's more for you to do for the kingdom. Not more for you to accumulate. There's more good for you to go do in the world. But if we're going to succumb to the cultural pressure of apathy, it's going to lead us to doing nothing. And it's going to convince us, and we're going to convince ourselves, we're justified in doing nothing. I was supposed to go to the gym three times this week. I only went twice. But twice is good for you. I'm just going to go back to bed. You ate really good during the week, but it's the weekend. You want that pizza? Oh, man, I really want the pizza. That's just the personal one for me. Sorry, that's uh, the Lord's like shooting at me. Right it justifies it. It just doesn't encourage you to do it. It gives you valid reasons that make sense in your head, which is why we have to renew our mind, put our focus where it needs to be, steward our attention, and keep it on the gospel. 1 Corinthians 7, 35. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few, what? Distractions, Distractions as possible. In context, Paul is telling these people about, some people came to him and said, should I get married? Should I stay single? 
And he, and he, he weighs out the pros and cons and says neither one of them is wrong. But you have more responsibilities if you're married with family and providing and stuff like that. But if you're going to go down that road and you're going to burn, like, till, till you get that girl, go get married. All I'm telling you is I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. How comfortable are we with distractions? Because I don't know about you, but I get nervous on Sundays when it tells me how much screen time I spent this week. I didn't even ask it to do that stupid thing. I'm trying to figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. I could get up and go do the thing I'm supposed to be doing, spend some time with the Lord, but what's going on today in Israel? What's happening on... Oh, I didn't know it was somebody's birthday. How many other birthdays? And then I see how it goes. Yeah. Biggest distraction, lowest hanging fruit, but it's not the only one. <clears throat> and that's uh, difficult for me. This is a look in the mirror one for me. Last one, and I'm going to make some people mad. I didn't mean to, but I feel it's necessary. Last major distraction for Christians. Okay, so just, you, you ready? Just you brace yourself, you good? You got your steel toe boots on like they used to say? You got your buckles up ready for this one? Okay, ready? Last distraction that I want to deal with is the end times. Christian didn't know I was talking about this, and yesterday when we met for noon 90, the first thing he said <laughs> when he walked up to the group was, guys, how are you doing? You guys doing good? Yeah, had a great week. Have you noticed... On your social media feed, that is just nothing but end times, end times, end times, end times, right? <clears throat> um, and, uh, and so I was like, <laughs> you have no idea, bro. Uh, yes, yes, I do agree. I've seen it a lot this week. You know what I mean? I kind of, I was wanting to share it, but I can't, I, I did good. I kept it until today. Um, so over the, the past several years of running the church, people come and ask me, mostly privately, um, where do I stand on something in particular? They ask me, what, what are they? Pre-trib? Mid-trib? Post-trib? Rapture, right? <clears throat> they want to know where I stand. I'm a pastor of a church. So let me give you a little inside baseball here. Um, the, uh, the, the word for the end times that people use in the church world or preachers use or in theology is called eschatology. I don't know why they picked a confusing word for that, but they did. When everyone says, what do you believe about eschatology? They're just asking you what you mean on the end times. They make it worse when they use it in proper English. What's your eschatological view on the end? I'm like, I can't even, I practiced that before I got here to make sure I said it right. I was like, eschatological. What? That's just, what do you believe about the end times? And people ask me this all the time. If you don't know what these are, just quickly, the tribulation is what... What, what, what you'll find in the Bible, it's a seven-year period of, um, of terrible things that happen right before Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon where Christ comes physically back to the earth. And there's three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of war. And there's some groups of people, that's called the tribulation, that seven-year run. There's some people who think that the rapture, the second coming of Christ, is going to happen before that. Like, all the Christians go, and then, then that's day one for the tribulation, and they mark it up. There's another group of people that think that um, the rapture's going to happen in the middle of that. So you, three and a half years of peace, and then you're gone, and then the war starts. And then there's another group of people who think that it's at the end, which they call post-trib, see, pre, mid, post, that the, that the rapture's going to happen after that tribulation seven-year period. Um, I am a part of a fourth category that I've created. <laughs> which I'll save just for a minute for you, because you're like, which one are you? Um, I'm a, uh, there's another, another one out there. I should, oh, let me get into this. Okay. The reason that this comes up, especially now, is because there's war in Israel, right? <clears throat> there's war in Israel. And whenever these things come up, your social media 
profile pops off with all the end time stuff, right? And then if you have a older parent or grandparent that's like older, like reaching that old, where you go, oh yeah, I was trying to be nice and call you young, you're not young anymore, right? Like you're past that age. They're calling you, or at least my mom, well, <laughs> I have a relative calling me. I slipped it out there. My mom calls me, and she's like, what do you think about what's going on? You know what I mean? What's going to happen with Trump? You know, what's going to happen? You know, there are all the conspiracies that come out, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, if you've been around long enough or lived long enough, you've seen these things come in waves, right? You've seen them come in waves. And how, how many of you are old enough to remember this book? <laughs> 88 reasons the rapture will happen in 1988. We're all still here. Right? And then the, the funny thing about this author is that the next year when it didn't happen, here on another book, the final shout, the rapture in 1989. He actually, this, the author of this book, he actually, he changed his date projections five times before he just stopped writing books. Right? So I've tried to cut the names or the, the pictures of these people out because I'm not trying to like just come at them. I'm just trying to use an example, all right? So if you like the guy who wrote this book, I'm sorry. <clears throat> all right. What about this one? You guys remember this one from a few years ago? Yeah. The, the signs that were all up. This is my, one of my favorite ones. Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. <laughs> the Bible guarantees it. <laughs> Listen to my radio station between these hours and learn not more. <laughs> I was like, Ay, ay, ay. How many remember this one a couple years later? <clears throat> the four blood moons. There's going to be four. It's the last time it's going to happen in decades. It's got to be now. Right? Remember that one? There's four in a year because of the solar eclipse or the, the, the lunar eclipse that happened. And it made like the, the, the moon have like this little reddish hue. And they're like red. Blood. The moon will be his blood. Let's write a book. That was 2014. How about this one? Anybody ever heard that one? COVID-19, the vaccines, the mark of the beast. Ever heard that one? They're injecting all the people. You heard that one? When you start injecting people with stuff, I'll at least consider it. I don't think so, but I see how you got there. But it wasn't. This is one of my favorite ones. Now, look, I blacked out this guy's name and cut his picture off just because I'm not trying, because I like some of the stuff he does. <clears throat> but this was one of my favorite ones. This is, a, uh, this is a guy who has a YouTube channel, has 350,000 people, and, is, and it's all on end time stuff. He's got probably four different books, and if you want to hear what his real thoughts are, that he won't just put out there in public, it's only seven bucks a month or $77 a year to get the inside information, right? And look, if you're an end times person and you like to geek out on that, there's a lot worse things you can geek out on. I'm not coming at you, okay? I'm not, you, we need to pay attention to it. But here's the funny part. Three months left. I don't know if you can see this. Eight months ago. <clears throat> we only got three months left, eight months ago. Right? I heard this particular man say, um, he, re he references this particular passage. Matthew 24, 35 to 36. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And when people say, because this particular gentleman has been convinced every September for the last four Septembers during the Feast of Trumpets that this is going to be the time where God comes back, he says, I know we can't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. If you want to know what the season is, buy my book. All of these things, the more and more I got into it, I was kind of laughing. I'm like, this is going to be a little funny part. And by the end, I was a little upset. Because a lot of this stuff is turning into merch sales. The Bible doesn't say, um, look at all of this and figure out a way to turn a profit. It says when you see these things, encourage one another 
because you know that God's word is real and that he's coming soon. <clears throat> People in every generation have been convinced theirs was the last. Starting with the Jewish revolutionaries in 66 AD. They thought, good Lord, Jesus has been gone and crucified and resurrected for 30 years. He's got to be coming back soon. It's got to be right now. Why would he wait longer than 30 years? One of the popes taught the Catholic Church that the end times were starting and that the rapture was happening January 1st of 1000 AD. Nice little round number. We went from three digits to four. God's worried about that. <clears throat> it's the Feast of Trumpets. That's when he's coming because the trump will sound. And Israel has a Feast of Trumpets, and that's got to be that's when it. There's war in Israel. Uh, I looked this up yesterday to just, to be just to confirm. You know, in the last 75 years, Israel's had 22 wars. They average one every three and a half years. And every single time, what happens? Jesus is coming. And people profit off of it and all that. If you are someone who's interested in the end times, great, I am too. I'm not here to poke fun at you or I'm kind of poking fun at the books, you know, because they've been decades in the past. And do I think there's some shady underground weird stuff that's kind of preparing the way for, the, for, the, for, for Christians to have a hard time and it's kind of in that spirit, that attitude of anti-Christ? Absolutely, 100%. But if I allow that subject of the end times as a believer to dominate my thoughts, my prayers, my focus, my friends, we are distracted. Because instead of encouraging each other with these things, instead of telling you, hey man, we need to move quicker because we see all this stuff going on and this is kind of the stuff that the Bible was alluding to, we got to get moving. It, okay, anybody remember the old Tim McGraw song, Live Like You're Dying? I went skydiving, I went. Remember that song? Let's do it on the way home. It's a story of a guy who found out he had very limited time left. His perspective shifted. He dropped all the nonsense and went harder to accomplish all the things he wanted to and to do all the things he wanted to in his life. When we hear talk about the end times, it should make us real realize time is shorter increase our focus on what we're supposed to be doing and take the message of the gospel and our obedience and submission to God up a level because we realize we're running out of time. No one is going to look at, let's say, let's say me and Christian were arguing. We're not, but let's just say we are. He's a pre-trib guy, I'm a post-trib guy, and then all of a sudden... The rapture happens and it's pre-trib. He's not turning to me and going, I was right, bro. Because <clears throat> no one cares. I can tell you if it's pre-trib, the mid-trib and the post-trib guys are going to be so thankful. And if it was post-trib, all of us are going to wish the pre-trib guys were right. <clears throat> but here's the goal for us when we have these subjects. Matthew 24, 45, and 46. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give his responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. The old me wants to go, woo, reward. But the part that's not distracted by all, what am I going to get anymore? Is he going to come back and find me doing a good job? I don't want him to come back and find me with a calculator and spreadsheets and dates and a pencil because I'm trying to figure out the exact time and date he's coming back. I want him to pull me out of the job of reaching other people. 
When our master returns, he may, may he find us doing his work. If there is anything in you that goes, the end times are near, and every day they are closer, every day. If you're saying, man, it's never been like this, I would agree with you to some extent. We've never seen it like this yet, or we haven't. But historically, there's been some back and forth, right? There's been struggles through all of Israel's history. Will it catch us unaware? Absolutely. But I want to be one of those people that are found moving forward, helping others, serving believers, reaching out to unbelievers, trying to build something to help people point them back to Christ. And, all, and as I'm going, I want to be so caught off guard. Wait, now? And then go. I don't want to be sitting somewhere in fear or given into apathy. I don't care. How does apathy play into the end times? I'm tired of this nation going to hell in a handbasket, going down the drain. Come get me, Jesus. I'm tired of these heathens. What's that mean? You want out. But God wants more people. We're distracted. You're not supposed to pay attention to the stuff at the end? No, you are. It should make you work faster and harder. Not sit back and go, well, he's coming. Let me get another book. Figure out what day and season he's really coming. Stop. If that's a hobby of yours, fine. Go have it be a hobby. Do not let it dominate your attention because we are called to steward our attention and put our focus where it needs to be. And that is doing his work so that when he comes back, he finds us doing his work. So... Where do I fall on the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I'll make it official to everybody. I've created my fourth category, and it is this. <clears throat> it's called It Don't Matter Trip. Now, this is a little tongue-in-cheek and a little sarcastic and a little snarky. My grandmother called, called me ornery a lot when I was younger, right? Um, it depends on which day it was. I was ornery or ornery. I don't know which is the proper saying, but anyway. It does matter that Jesus is coming again. Amen. It just don't matter when. Because you don't know, and I don't know, and the three months to go guy doesn't know, and the 1988 guy doesn't know, and none of the other people who are telling you you need to sign up for their membership so that you can hear the secret word that God gave them about the right time that's coming. No. Distractions. Profiteering. If you're somebody who says, Matt, I've kind of, kind of been distracted. I have been caught up with the cares of life or all the talk on the end times or whatever. Um, and I have, I'm listening to some of that stuff you're saying. And when I pick up my phone, I'm like, oh, I got to figure out what's going on on the other side of the world. Pay attention, you, got, you need to know. I gotta figure out the latest prophecy. I gotta figure out the latest thing. I, gotta, I need to stay connected and all this stuff. And if you feel constantly fearful, constantly apathetic, if you are constantly drawn into distractions that take your focus away from God and where he's leading you to go, there is a way to fix it. If you are someone who's dealing with the distractions, that's why we played the game at the beginning, what you're doing is plugging into some noise and going, what is he saying? Israel, the Middle East, war, Taiwan, China, Russia, and God's trying to get your attention to make a step, and you're like, what? I can't make it out. Why? You got the noise of the distractions pumped so far into you 
that it's making it hard to sense that God's leading you in a direction. If you are consumed with fear, you have plugged into that and the noise of the fear, the emotion, the, the thoughts of the fear is raining in your ear. It's pumping in your head and God's trying to get your attention. You're like, huh? What? What? Have no what? I don't understand what you're saying. I can't understand him. Why does he make his word plain? This is confusing to me. Bro, you're plugged into the wrong thing. If you are constantly overwhelmed, you're constantly fearful, you're constantly worried about what in the world am I going to do? Let me show you one way to start. One second. Let me show you one way. Plug into something different. Whatever you're consuming, change what you're consuming. I'm not talking about you got overwhelmed in a moment. You got fearful in a moment. That happens to everybody. But if it constantly overwhelms you, if it constantly swarms over you, if you constantly are dealing with this stuff and battling to steward your attention, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. I don't know where I should, where I should do. Or how my life's going to go. I could look like an idiot. So many unthing, unknown things for me. <clears throat> so I am going to turn my attention correct and remind my soul. Nobody else. Nobody the only one that I know. Your, your holy, only God. If you are overwhelmed in your life, plug into something different. Turn off the news. Turn off the fear. Stop reading the things that are causing you distractions and go right back to your holy God. Go back to that point. <clears throat> when I'm there, Matt, I have cares. Make it be louder. Talk to those things. Hey, I'm not dealing with this fear no more. You go, your neighbors might think you're nuts. You live in an apartment or you leave your windows open and you pray loud. <clears throat> They're going to look at you like, what is he doing? I'm working something out over here. I'm working on my focus. I'm stewarding my attention. I am not going to allow all the cares of this world to draw my attention away from the God who is holy. Nobody else. Nobody else can love me like you, God. There's some of you have been so overwhelmed. Some of you don't know what to do, what next step to take. You got that imposter syndrome going on. You got the fear that Joanna Gaines talked about. They're going to figure out that I'm nothing, that I'm, a, that I'm flawed, that I'm an imposter. You know what you need to do? Stop plugging in to you. Plug in somewhere else. If you don't know where to stop, close all the doors, all the windows in your house. Turn the music up where you can't hear yourself think good. Good. Get away from your thoughts. Get away from what you're thinking. Get away from your fears. Lay those things down at the feet of the master. Nobody else. Nobody else. And when you do that, What's going to happen is all those distractions are going to start to dissolve. They're going to start to fade. It's not that those life issues won't be there, but you are refocusing, you are stewarding your attention to the one who can fix it. You've been worried about it for years. You've been carrying the burden for months, and it hasn't gone away. That's because you can't fix it. You've been distracted on your own strength. You've been distracted from all this stuff. Start right here. Nobody else, God. You start calling him holy instead of wondering how it's going to unfold, how it's going to work out for you. And watch what he does. Watch what he does. Every one of you. There's nobody who doesn't need this. 
I've sat in this house after services, worried, before a service, worried, getting prepped for it, worried, stressed. What am I going to do? What are we going to say? What is the next step for us, God? And every single time I find a place in my truck here, and this is what solves the confusion. It's only Him. It's only Him. Some of this is not hard. It's not complex. It's just you being humble enough to admit, I am afraid. I am carrying the burden. I am overwhelmed. I have been lured into apathy because I have been pushing my purpose away for so long. You want to be clear on that? Go back to the one who gives you your purpose to begin with. You don't need to read another verse. You don't need to attend another service to get what he has offering for you right now. You can have it now. So, we're going to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to go to the God who can solve all these things for us and worship together. You can stand. You can kneel. You can yell. You can do whatever. You're not going to mess us up. <clears throat> we got really good at turning up people who can't sing for years. <clears throat> I'm not saying you can't sing. I'm just giving you free. We're going to have an opportunity right now to go worship the God together who will help you remove all these distractions and see his path clearly.